Welcome to Engineering Fields of Dreams podcast. We're here to share stories and professional experiences of engineers across disciplines and let you explore the amazing world of engineering. Each episode, you'll hear inspiring stories and advice from engineers, allowing you to learn from their successes and experiences. Whether you're an engineering student, a veteran engineer, or just curious about engineering, we invite you to join us and explore the amazing and ever-changing world of engineering. Welcome to this episode, Delivering Data and Value, with our guest, Michelle. Thank you for being here today. Would you please introduce yourself? Sure. I am Michelle Donovan. I earned my PhD in communication at the University of Arizona in 2012. I have worked in data science and data engineering in the government space. I led a research team in a government organization. And now I lead the data analytics team at Best Friends Animal Society. I have three children, I have a dog, and I live in Phoenix. Wonderful. I think it's going to be very exciting to hear your story today. So why did you choose this career? Well, I finished my doctorate and knew I did not want to stay in academia and didn't have a lot of guidance on where I should get my first job. So I was really looking around for research opportunities, but in the social science space, there wasn't a whole lot available. So I really focused on data, which was lucky because I had really focused on statistics a lot in my education. And I found a a job with the courts focusing on child welfare, and it was perfect. It was research, it was data, it was all the things that that I was looking for. In that position, I had a lot of opportunities to attend webinars and conferences and get additional trainings and really learned about just how wide that opportunity is in the data space and, and how many opportunities there are to grow and and the demand, the continually growing demand for data professionals. Yeah. And I think especially in the last decade, you've witnessed the just the huge growth in data analytics. And colleges now have data analytic programs where they didn't necessarily back them. They had statistic programs, but not really data analytic programs. Right. Right. And in my experience, when I was looking for jobs, the term data scientist had just started. And for me, that was a little intimidating because I didn't learn coding in school and I didn't know how hard it was. And I didn't really know how difficult it would be to pick it up on my own. And so I think there was a little bit of a black box there. And there's just so many resources available. If you go on LinkedIn, you can't throw a stone without finding a data professional who's wanting to help new people in in the field to get started. Yeah, and I think it's a very unique field because there's people who come at it from the side that you came, the social sciences, where you're really wondering about, you know, what questions can we ask? And then there's people who come from it from the very kind of engineering side and the more programming coding side that are like really good at like writing Python scripts or doing machine learning algorithms. The data science and data analyst role really requires a combination of skill sets from both to be successful. It does. And from business. And that's where there's a lot of change happening right now, or there's a lot of discussion anyway, is about, can you take somebody who has that traditional business background and turn them into a chief data officer? You really need somebody who understands complicated statistics and understands all of the technology and all of the 
philosophy behind how to build the appropriate data warehouse, data pipeline, data mesh, all of those, you know, buzzwords that are out there. I would say there's probably three, you know, because if you don't, if you don't deliver business value, then there's no point in having that specialty. Mm -hmm. So what's one thing that you know now that you kind of wish you knew before you finished your education program? I wish I understood more about how hiring actually worked and what it would take to get the first job. I wish I really understood the value that I was bringing to the table, even without any professional experience before I started. Now that I'm in the position of hiring, instead of instead of being hired as much, I realize that I'm never really hiring anybody that has 100% of the job requirements. What I put on that job description is a wish list. Like my perfect candidate would have all of these things. And I think for a long time, I self-selected out of a lot of positions that I probably would have been really qualified for and really good at because those descriptions didn't didn't tell that whole picture, didn't make me feel like I, I was actually going to be capable of doing that. And also the fact that a lot of the work that you're doing in school or that you're doing for your coursework has value and has merit. And, and they don't have to be separate as much as I think if you're trying to be really honest and, and humble or modest, you don't put all of that out there. But the reality is you're going up against people who are not being humble and who are not being modest. And you're competing for the same position as somebody who recognizes the unique experiences that they had when they were getting their degree and, and whatever employment opportunities they took advantage of also. So making sure to really to feel like those experiences were worthwhile and were competitive and, and that they provided a competitive edge despite that lack of experience getting started. Yeah, I think that's very good advice. And I was reading an article just the other week in the Wall Street Journal citing a study, which I don't remember who did the study, but it was talking about gender differences in looking at job descriptions. And it, the study reported that female applicants would only apply to a job if they like met 100% of the requirements, while males were more likely to still apply if they only met like 60% of them. And I think that gets to what you were just talking about of people self-selecting themselves out of potential opportunities that they might be really good for. So I think it's good for them to hear from you that, you know, when you put out a job description, it's really a wish list. It's not an exclusive must meet every check mark. Right. Those are great points, Matt. And I want to add a couple more things to it. If I am applying for a job where I meet 100% of the requirements, I'm not going to grow. I'm going to be bored within a few months. I'm not going to have an opportunity to expand my own experiences. And so really for yourself, you need to be looking for where's the next place you want to go or in what direction do you want to grow? And those are the kinds of positions you should be looking for. Another thing that I see women doing that is unique, or I, I tend to see it more in women. I've seen it in men for sure as well. But this idea that you have to be loyal to the employer that gave you your first job or that gave you that first promotion or that first opportunity to be in management. Absolutely. Loyalty is a, is a valuable thing to have. And it's a, it's a great characteristic to, to emphasize and it can get you far, but there, to really recognize when that's really a one-way street, when that loyalty isn't going to be returned. there's there It, it is business ultimately mm -hmm. for yourself and for others. And so if you see an opportunity to do something different, don't feel bad that you're walking away from a position after a year. If you're finding something that's really going to be a better fit for you or that provides you more opportunities, that's that's the 
that's how you succeed. And that's how you help your, your organization to succeed is making sure to push that envelope and, and knowing what your worth is. Yes. I think it's very important to know your worth and that life is too short to be unhappy. So if, if you're in a job that you're not growing or it's a source of stress, you know, it's very important to look for other opportunities, which kind of leads to my next question. Can you recall a challenging professional situation and what did you learn from it? Yeah, my biggest challenges in my career so far have been when I'm leading a big change, a transformation of sorts. And we see this a lot in data and analytics because so many organizations haven't been data-driven for so long, or industries, entire industries have not really known much or understood the value and the, the power that comes along with really using data to its fullest extent. And so when trying to get people who have maybe been with an organization or in an industry for a really long time behind that or proposing doing something really big and bold. There are people who are threatened by that. There are people who are uncomfortable with that. There's always going to be, it's the people that are going to make it succeed. It's also the people who are going to be the most concerned about it. And so those have always been my challenges is understanding who all the stakeholders are. And it's never just one small group. It's the, there are people internal to the organization. There's people external to the organization. It's your specific team who's carrying out that transformation. It's all of the, the, the people throughout the organization that that touches. It's new people who are coming into the organization. It's HR and being able to recruit the best talent to make this transformation happen. It's people are your number one asset. And that's not an exaggeration. That's the only way you get anything done is making sure that you're taking care of people and hearing them when they are having these struggles and trying to address as many of those as possible. But then finding that balance of when you need to say, I've given all the information that I can, I've given all the support that I can, I will continue to support you we have to go in a direction. And so, and, and that's, that's how you break the status quo and you break the mold is you have to do something that's uncomfortable and, and give some people and make sure that you have created that environment of safety, of knowing if it doesn't work, I will have your back. If, you know, I'm, I'm telling you, we have to do this and I will be the one out in front saying that was my call. And I, I decided to go in that direction and adjusting and knowing that it's not going to be perfect the first time around. And, and, getting your team comfortable with uncertainty to make those bold those bold moves moving forward those those are the hardest parts because there's so many people involved um directly and indirectly and different personalities people having different levels of resiliency people having different levels of understanding or comfort with it and and navigating all of that is has been the biggest challenge that I've that I've experienced yeah, I would totally agree with that. And I like to explain it to people that, you know, data doesn't have feelings, but people have feelings. And when you're trying to do a big transformation, you know, the data can sometimes help provide comfort, you know, was the decision right or was the decision wrong? But you do have to take into account people's feelings on how that change and transformation is going to be. And it can sometimes be a scary prospect for them. Yeah, and you bring up another good point, which is that data isn't everything. And we have to acknowledge that in the yes. data field, that sometimes the data tells us something because the way we've pulled in the data is, you know, it's including something that shouldn't be included, or it's not looking at the full scope, or maybe we have a data quality error. And so it's really an iterative process 
pulling, you know, pulling out the data and exploring it to make sure that it's reflective of reality and adjusting when it's not. And understanding that despite if, if the data, even after all of that, you figure out that the data says, this is the direction you should go in. If there are people who know the atmosphere, they know what to expect. They know what history looks like. They're they're hearing from boots on the ground. And those numbers are not going to be well received because there is something missing. You also have to take that into consideration and understanding that by data coming in and being a force in the organization, it's not overtaking your years and years of experience. It's augmenting and supplementing what you know about the, the environment. Yeah, and I think it's really important, especially for a new data scientist or analyst to hear that it's really important about the questions you ask and how that informs the responses you get. I think we both came up in data and research in an era before, like machine learning. And I've talked to young data scientists, you know, and they're like, oh, well, you know, my regression equation showed this. I'm like, yes, but, um, you know, and machine learning is just regression equations on steroids. And sometimes it's, as you said, all those factors that go into the modeling can really have an impact on what you get out of it, whether it's data quality or, or the different metrics. And, you know, I, I once had this young data scientist I was mentoring in an internship and like, I had the business context knowledge to know that that model was completely wrong, but you know, his eigenvalues were great. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think it's really important to to recognize as a young data scientist, you know, that, yes, you might get some really beautiful models, but does that really explain the reality of what we're looking at? And it's really important to have those check-ins with the business stakeholders and, and get that cross-validation. Absolutely. So what advice would you impart to someone just starting their career? You know, along the lines of what you just said, when we are in technical fields, we are known for not being great communicators or using too much jargon or really understanding the superiority of what we're doing at the expense of what the rest of the organization might be doing. And so my advice would be to make sure you're honing your communication skills from day one. There's nothing more important in your own success, which is then, of course, your company's success than being able to communicate what you're talking about. So being able to communicate your complex processes that you are using because you've learned them and you have this great knowledge and this great skill set, making sure though that you're not alienating people by using really complex terms. When you're giving a presentation, do they need all of the detail in the background or do they need, you know, or is what you're presenting to them something that's going to help them understand what to do with that information? It has to be actionable. It has to be understandable. It has to be trusted. And how you communicate is going to determine all of those things. It's really going to make that difference. And People forget that listening is a communication skill. Active listening is making sure that you're really hearing what somebody's saying, that you are asking clarifying questions. If you're not really listening deeply outside of your own department to everything that's happening around the organization and asking questions and poking holes at things and making sure that you fully understand what's happening, you're not going to be able to provide the most business value. Um, you're not going to be as persuasive as you need to be. You're not going to understand what people really need from you and how to deliver that unless you're you're listening and then you're communicating back to them in a way that is palatable and that is understandable. And 
that really respects their time and effort. People shouldn't have to spend an hour deciphering a report that you're presenting. Their, their time is valuable. They're asking you to do that work and trusting you to provide them with what, what insights you can, you can have. And so how you structure your emails, how you prepare for a meeting and what you present in a meeting, all of that is going to determine how successful you are with any specific project in any role and in any organization. I, I agree 100%. And I and I definitely have seen that with young data scientists trying to flex the jargon and, oh, look, I did this cool analysis. But then I just think, you know, even myself, where I understood the analysis um, for those other business stakeholders that don't have the deep background in statistic, you know, are you really providing them the answers that they need when you're just trying to to show your your vast knowledge and it's really a key skill to distill that knowledge in show your value by explaining what the data tells them instead of getting into all the weeds of the stats yeah and you touch on something that i think is really important as well as if you can be introspective about why you feel like you need to do that is it because you feel like your audience needs to understand just how impressive your work is. Is it because you think that they don't trust you? Is it because you, you know, if you throw a bunch of things at them that they don't understand, they can't ask so many questions. Like what is the motivation behind that? And for me, I realized when I start getting into those, like, let me show you this cool statistical thing. I get really excited about it. And to a certain extent it is, you know, I, I learned just through introspection that it is important for me to feel competent, for other people to see that I am competent at what I am doing. So let me show you all these really sophisticated things that I'm capable of doing, but it doesn't really help move the conversation forward a lot of times. Um, and and it, it can actually be really off-putting. So, you know, it, it took me a while. It's not like I've always been great at it, but it's something that I, I would like to impart on, on younger professionals, if at all possible. Well, this has been a very great conversation and thank you very much for your time today. Great. Thanks so much, Matt. We'd like to thank today's guests for sharing their professional experience and career advice. We appreciate their insight and taking the time to share them with our audience. To you, the listener, thank you for joining us on this journey and exploring the ever-evolving world of engineering. We hope we've inspired you to pursue your dreams and ambitions. Let us know if there are topics or fields you'd like to hear more about. Until next time, we wish you the best of luck on your engineering journey.